Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami, here we are. Dave once Will, again. man. I'm so excited about today. And you know why? Why? Because it's about show me the money, man. Money that you can drive value and get your sponsors and stuff to just dive into your association meetings, partnerships. And I'm really excited. I've never really had a chance to dig in with, with our guest. I met him at uh, Nandu's Palooza a little bit, but I, I'm excited to be here with Bruce today. Just kind of hear Bruce's brain trust on this stuff because he's such an expert at it. Bruce Rosenthal, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. I've known Bruce for years. You really just met him recently, Tom? I think we've probably met in the past. Most people remember when they met, we met before. <laughs> I've had somebody I thought I met a year and they go, Tom, we met in 2007 at ASA. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? Just no, the you're mind, aging, the mind. Tom. You're, I know, you're aging. And this is one of the things that happens as you age. Your memory alters a little. I get it. I'm yeah, just trying to figure out. Some- I'm still trying to figure out how to get milk home for the wife when she asked me on the way home from work. We don't call them the wife, by the way. You don't say that. I I don't know exactly why, but it sounds like that's just not PC. I don't think you're supposed to say that. The wife. My wife loves it when I call her wife, no matter what it is, because she's still my wife. Does she call you the the doofus? No. No, I I don't call her the doofus wife. She would punch me. (laughs) She doesn't like when I... Me, I just feel like we're going to get in trouble for this conversation. Hey, Bruce, welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. So listen, first question for you. Do you call them sponsors or do you call them strategic alliance partners or something like that? Like talk to, speaking of PC and do we call, do we call Deanna the wife or do we call her <laughs> Deanna or do we say my wife? Do we say the, the sponsors or strategic alliance partners or Dave, what She's my strategic wife. <laughs> no, just stop. Can we not? Just all right, Bruce. Yeah, I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna deal with the uh, the spouse uh, terminology. So, um, yeah, it's a good question on sponsor versus partner. Um, you know, sponsor. I think has uh, yeah. The dictionary definition is kind of you, you put money into something. So you go into the symphony hall and you see the wall there with the, the names of the sponsors and basically what they've done is they've given money and that's very important in the beginning and the end of the relationship. I often think of partners as really you know part with these companies. Um, I mean, one of the challenges is with some associations, their bylaws are, are very defined on who is a partner. And sometimes it's only state affiliates or only um, other aligned organizations. So some organizations um, can't use the term partner. But I think uh, if not partner with a capital P, at least the idea of actually partnering with companies and not just taking their money and, and calling them a sponsor. So uh, I, I lean towards the term partner or strategic partner. Yeah. All right. Tom, you look at you. I see you, we're on video. I know a lot of people listen to this, but I see my, Tom, Tom's mouth wide open and I was about to jump in it. So go ahead, Tom. So Bruce, uh, so, so we can get this off the table and or on the table. Um, so what are some what are the big mistakes you're seeing associations make now as this market? I mean, we had COVID change dramatically a whole lot of things. It even changed how people are funding elements and how they're driving value. What are some of the old elements that used to be effective that you think associations should consider putting to the sides of, hey, you need to think anew when it comes to sponsorships and strategic alliances? 
Yeah, good question. What's changed? You know, really what's changed goes back probably eight or 10 years and it just kind of ramped up with the the pandemic. But I remember talking to companies when I was uh, in charge of sponsorships at an association seven, eight, nine years ago where the companies were like, we're just not seeing the value. Um, And we really want to engage with your members. But basically what we're being offered is the the sponsorship, uh, which is mostly visibility, logo placements, banner ads, recognition, wave from the podium, maybe a bigger booth. And I, I saw some companies eight, 10 years ago kind of backing away from that. And what happened with the pandemic is when associations had to cancel all of those in-person conferences and expos, so the companies really didn't have that venue to go to, I think some of those companies looked at that as an opportunity to kind of tiptoe out the door and and wave goodbye and say, this is our ticket out of here. We, We never wanted to leave before because we didn't want to look like the bad guy or you know, the board chair was one of our clients and we didn't want the board chair to say something to the CEO. So we just kind of hung in there as a sponsor. But then when the most sponsorships were event focused, uh, when the events weren't there, the companies took a step back. So I I think then what happened is companies couldn't stop marketing for two, two and a half years. So they found other ways to, to connect with members and with social media, with, um, um, Companies putting out their own education, not sales pitches, but webinars and those sorts of things. Um, Companies found their own ways to reach members year round. So then I think what happened in the last uh, six to 12 months when events came back, which was a good thing. And then associations went to those sponsors and said, come on back. We got the expo. We can get you some banner ads and some, some scrolling logos during the general sessions. The companies were like, we've moved on. Uh, we're not as likely to come back to the old scenario. We found other ways to reach your members. So well, I think you remember. Go ahead. Real quick, Dave. I just want to, one quick point. We have he to said fight to talk in this group. He said something I, I want to just hit on, hit on, which is number two, which is the they started doing their own webinars. And I think that's the one of the largest things that, because suppliers didn't really do a lot of educational webinars prior to COVID. No, no, that's not true. Well, I guess it depends on the industry. Not at, not at the rampant pace that they do now. Now, now, I mean, I, I don't get as, I get way more invites to webinars, con- contextual, con- contextual webinars now than I did pre-COVID because they had, like you said, Bruce, they had to learn to survive like everybody else. But then when they back, when they backed off, now they're direct competitors with a lot of associations because they're doing the same thing the association is from a content standpoint. <laughs> I'll edit that out. <laughs> but that that's, I think, something that associations weren't prepared for, is that suppliers are really doing a lot of content pushing out. Yep. Well, so so do, so in my role as a referee here, I think you're both right. Uh, companies were doing webinars years ago. But uh, uh, to Tom's point, because of COVID, they really ramped them up. Uh, members weren't saying, oh, I'm going to the big association conference. I'm going to get all my education there. Companies could kind of slip in any month of the year and say, we're doing an educational webinar. And I think the other advantage to those educational webinars, aside from providing members with some really useful information, it also made it really easy for members if they wanted the product information, just to click for the demo or click for the online chat which is harder to do in the association environment for a very good reason because of of education credits. Often you can't have any sort of sales pitch, but I've seen a lot of members even after the the in-person 
education sessions uh, taught by companies where the members come up to the head table afterwards and say, oh, do you have a brochure? Tell me about the contract terms. So I think companies have found a good way to navigate that and provide really good education and the opportunity for, for members to learn more about the products and services. So, I, I, so and let me jump in as the only actual sponsor here in this in this conversation, because being the prop fuel, we are very interested in getting in front of um, association executives. Uh, that's our clientele, of course. <clears throat> uh, and uh, there's there's two pieces of this. One is uh, the short term uh, gain from a sponsor perspective. And then the long-term market awareness. Now, when you have a product like ours, which is a new and innovative approach to engagement, right? It's it, it takes some market education. Like, what is this thing that's kind of new and additive to our suite, right? So that's market awareness. There's a lot of education in that. The other side of it is like, we want to get you into a demo. Like, we want to show you the platform. It does some really cool stuff. And so that's the more immediate, like take action right now. Now, here's the thing about the going to the webinar conversation. We were doing webinars before and we're continuing to do webinars at the same rate at which we were doing them. What's different is now you have other organizations, mostly associations that have converted a lot of their education and stuff to online stuff. All the webinars we were doing, now what you do is you add in all the association stuff on top of that. Right. So the associations are actually the ones that are ramping up and doing all their digital stuff that they weren't doing before. I can't speak for all sponsors or vendors out there, but I can say we haven't changed the rate at which we were digitally marketing. Right. Our our digital marketing, whether it's uh, publications and content and webinars, flatline, same before, during and after covid. But then you, what is an additive piece to it is all the association activity and events that we're doing online rather than in person. So that's where, yes, you're getting more stuff, but it's because conferences now have been, were replaced for a long period of time with digital uh, supplementation, right? The the other comment I wanted to make there, uh, this is just my take on it. I mean, that's all this what kind of this thing is, is all of us telling you our, our opinions from our worldviews. Uh, but my worldview is significantly different than either yours in this. The, the other thing is like, when you when we go to a conference, I can't speak for other people, when we go to a conference, logos flashing across the screen in emails, logo drops are valueless. Like they don't even help market awareness maybe a little tiny bit, but it's extremely overvalued in the eyes of most associations. Like we'll put your logo up. The other, uh, the only thing that really matters to us is getting connect. This is again, just prop fuel. I can't speak for Microsoft or all the other players out there, but for prop fuel, the only thing that matters to us from a partnership or strategic alliance partner or, or a sponsorship perspective is actually getting connected and talking to having an exchange a conversation with somebody in one way or another that's all that matters to us more than anything else like so anyway yeah that oh and and then one one last comment i know this is a little monologue here sorry for that the third comment so that was the first two the third comment i would say here is there's two kinds of content one is educational knowledge sharing knowledge uh, uh, thought leadership right and that's that's valuable great for market awareness from a short-term sales perspective 
sales pitches are extremely effective. And you're right, Bruce, we have to be careful not to bring that into CAE uh, sessions. And usually like if a, if somebody tells us not to pitch, we won't like ASAE says, do not pitch at the conference. Mm -hmm. We're good with that. We don't, but I, uh, we've learned that we need to turn up the volume on our sales pitch to sell Propul more because that actually has an impact on people's actions. Anyway, that's all. Those are all the things I've been dying to get out in this conversation so far. Well, I'm glad you expanded your really long monologue, but it got better as it because you covered the main points. So, so back 12 years ago when I interviewed corporate partners, and this was uh, about 2010 when the economy was not doing well and I really needed to find the value proposition and, and hired a consultant and she went out there and she came back and she said, well, the, the good news is, um, you know, you've got a pretty good program. You're offering a lot of logo placements and bigger booths and all that. She said, I've interviewed you 10 top corporate partners. They are all completely in lockstep on the value proposition. And I was like, great. And she, what said, is it? she said, however, it's not the value proposition you're selling. Uh, selling yeah. visibility, recognition, and logo placements. And as you yeah. said, Dave, the logo placements, and, and just as, as an aside, I mean, the studies that have been done on logo placements in sports stadiums, people sit there and watch the game for four hours with all those logos. Maybe you'll remember the logo over the scoreboard, but most of those thousands of fans don't remember any of the logos. So you're right. So most of the corporate partners I talk to say, unless they're going through a rebranding or a name change or something, the logo placements don't work. So, so the, the consultant said, here are the three value propositions for all of your top, all 10 of your top sponsors, completely different industries, uh, consulting products, all that. It is, of course, business development, some sort of brand visibility or brand, not exclusivity, but kind of brand elbow room and thought leadership. And it's the combination of those three to be positioned in a way that you have brand visibility and people know you as a thought leader and then the business development. So when the three of those come together, that's when corporate partners say, that's the win for us. That's what we're looking for. I think some of that boils down, though, to the brand of the association, because some of that depends upon, you know, if, I, if I'm going to a football game and I see that so such and such is the official car dealership of the whatever football team. I may, you know, check that out because I want to support the football team. And I think associations may not be doing the best job sharing with how if you're the official, if you're an official sponsor as an associate, as a vendor, you should be touting that, you know, as a part of your stuff. Only if your association has a really good brand, because I know for our associations, our members, they spend 50000 to $5 million with any particular vendor. Well, they really seek to be loyal to people who are helping their association be successful. So our, we've coached our our vendors that when you walk in, you need to say we're an official member and sponsor of the Metal Treating Institute because we've connected that dot. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you that, you know, just saying that you get a logo placement, a more preferred booth, the laundry list of stuff, that those are those are steps to getting to where you want to be connected. And if association is not using those things effectively to help you get connected to a demo, because that's what you're ultimately wanting. You want to demo your product at some point in time with whoever is seeing those logos and stuff. And I think that's where that that's the step that's missing for a lot of people is they're not connecting those dots to lead them down that path. Mm -hmm. Correct. Hey, Bruce, uh, have you found, have you seen any of your clients? So it, it, I don't think we really introduced Bruce, by the way, Tom. So I'm, I don't think let, we did either. Let me put my question on hold for a second, uh, but I want to get down to how 
this is the question, then we're going to go back for a second. Um, the question, so I don't forget, or at least you guys can remind me. In many communities, there sen- tends to be an us-them relationship between vendors and the, uh, the prospects, right? Whoever the prospects are. For, again, for Propul, it's association executives. And there tends to be us-them. So I want to talk about that for a second. Before we do, Bruce, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your company, what you do? Um, and I apologize, we should have brought this out of you 20 minutes ago. Thanks, Dave. Uh, so I am I'm Bruce Rosenthal. I had worked for nonprofit associations for many years. And um, the last 10 or so years, I was with a large national association as VP of corporate partnerships. Uh, with that uh, fairly sophisticated, large, top dollar corporate partner program that we cleverly launched in 2009, 2010, just as the economy crashed. So that led us into looking for the value proposition. So we actually reinvented the program a couple times in the next six or seven years. And and uh, looking at for what companies are actually truly interested in paying top dollar for. Um, and then about six years ago, uh, I left that association and started uh, consulting with organizations to help them uh, ramp up their sponsorship programs with the primary goals of increasing revenue and member value. Um, and then about uh, nine years ago, I created a, a networking group called the Partnership Professionals Network, which started as, as really just a discussion group for folks who really couldn't find a forum uh, separate from fundraising, separate from marketing, separate from booth sales to really talk about sponsorship, partnership, best practices, what works, what doesn't, the art and the science of it. Um, so we pushed out a lot of, uh, of discussion forums and, and content and articles and things through Partnership Professionals Network. And who who are the members of that network? It's it's uh, what, what I call the big tent. So big tent. So it's it's association execs of all levels. It could be the the, the booth person. It could be the, the the membership person who's in charge of selling sponsorships. But it also includes all of the service providers. So Dave, if you, had, if, you know, when we were having those in person meetings pre COVID, if you had said Dave, yeah, can I come and participate in the discussion? I'd say sure. Um, Obviously not a sales pitch again, but to position yourself as a thought leader, um, to to learn what um, uh, concerns folks around sponsorships and to offer your perspective. So we had a number of those meetings where there were companies there who uh, were in a position similar to yours, Dave. They sponsored organizations and they would explain, you know, interesting guys, but what I'm looking for is not logos. I'm looking for this. And, and I would sometimes then say to the group, you just got, you know, $500 of free consulting from Dave. He told you what he's looking for as a sponsor. So we really tried to create this environment. And, and when we get back to your us versus them question, not an us versus them. So uh, and some some association folks said to me, well, why are there sponsors in the room? Why are there uh, communications companies or AMCs in the room? And I said, because we're all here to learn from each other. Well, I, I think the number that. one clothesline that most associations, and we learned this a few years ago, the number one line is, so when you look at the, because uh, I, I don't I don't do a brochure anymore for sponsorships. I actually just have a one-page agreement that lists everything for the investment. And I'll, I'll send it over to our trade show sponsor and say, hey, here's what we did last meeting because it was important to the sponsor that decided they wanted it. So look down the list and look, you, you've been to our trade show. What would it take for you to put your name on that document and sign it? for the amount of money that we need to sp- help sponsor make the, the meeting world-class. And that's, I think, the missing link that most associate, would you say that, Bruce? I mean, they don't, they're not asking for the association's input on how can they open, because I had one time, I had a, uh, 
a sponsor say, Tom, what I would like to have is on the ban the banners that go across telling you what aisle you're on. I would love to see my name and logo on the bottom of that saying I'll sponsor by blank. And I'm like, so that that gets you to put your name. She's like, add that to the list. And it's a done deal. And I'm like, done. Costs us nothing but a few extra bucks to put the logo on the aisle sign. And they gave us 13 grand. You know, I mean, it's, Tom, so it's I'll, crazy. I'll say that that's the best sponsorship relationships relationships we've had is where somebody um gives us the opportunity to define what the sponsorship looks like like and I'll, I'll tell you very specifically digital now is a good example um we were looking at sponsoring their uh, conference and it was very expensive and what they were offering didn't seem like a good fit for us so we declined they said well what would you do and we said well for this amount of money this is what we would like to do he said that works so we did it and they got a sponsorship out of us and, and we got what we wanted out of that relationship it was custom, hard to scale, but usually sponsorships aren't done in scale. Right, Bruce? Yeah. I, and I think this idea of, you know, having conversations with sponsors, what a concept to actually partner <laughs> with them. Ask your customer um, what they want. About having conversations with members. What an idea. huh? That too. Right. Um, yeah. I, association I used to work with, we very often, you know, as senior staff be talking about, you know, a member need, a sponsor need. Um, and then there was one person on staff who would always say, uh, why don't we ask a member what they need? Why don't we, because we sat there as the experts. You know, I think one way to actually to ramp that, concept up or take it to the next level. And, and one of the things that I do a lot with sponsors and, and with, with uh, association clients is to actually perform more like a marketing agency, to not go to the sponsor with a list of benefits, but to go to sponsors, prospective sponsors with a list of questions like a marketing agency would, and just say, we're not selling anything today. We want to learn about your company. What are your marketing goals? What are your objectives? Do you want to reach a segment of our market? Uh, what do you think our members think about you now? How would you like them to think about you? Uh, what sort of um, marketing strategies do you use now? Which ones work? Which ones don't? Um, and to continue asking questions and follow-up questions and, and even kind of the Columbo question, uh, just one more question, to take all of that information, not to offer anything, take all that information, take notes, and then at the end of the conversation, say, this has been very helpful. Can I huddle with my team and can we get back to you next week? And then like a marketing agency would, then for that sponsorship person, and this works whether it's a staff of three or 30 or 300, for that sponsorship person to go back to their colleagues on staff and say, here are their goals. And, and you know, gee, we talked to Dave, he's really interested mostly in digital. So offering him a bigger booth is probably not, might not be what he wants. But let's think about what all the communications channels and the audiences that we can leverage for that company, like a marketing agency would. And the, the advantage for the association as over the marketing agency, the association already has the audiences marketing agency has to go out and find an audience. But an association has forums and listservs and board meetings and committee meetings and networking groups and webinars and podcasts and, and all of those things that they can offer and different audiences to really put all those together and to go back to, to each, and this is a discussion with each company, to go back to the company and say, first of all, here are your objectives as we heard them. Did we get that right? Here's how you want to move the needle. Here's how you want to be perceived in the marketplace. You told us your ROI was to get three new clients in the coming year or 30 or whatever it is. Did we get your objectives right? Here on the next page, we've outlined some things we believe we can do for you that'll help you achieve those objectives. 
How does that sound? And I find in most companies, they'll in most of those conversations, the companies will say, yeah, thank, first of all, thanks for the, your time. And most in most cases, this is a differentiator because as we've been saying, most associations aren't having those conversations with companies, but companies will say, yeah, let's tweak this. We'd like to modify this. Can we do this a little differently? And frankly, the price point is usually much higher. Um, and the other thing the association can do as part of that discussion is to make sure that the benefits are framed based on what the members need. So if, if it's a, a company that's involved in, in waste management and says, gee, by the way, we have some expertise on recycling and this is a municipal association of some sort, then the association can say, oh, what if you, the company, put together a couple tutorials or webinars on recycling? We know our members really need that. And so the company is providing not only revenue, they're providing content that the members need. I, I'd love to um, go back to the us and them thing, Bruce. Do you mm -hmm. find that to be... Uh, so in my experience with, with the association executive community, it's really divided, meaning... I'd say a much smaller percentage these days, but I'd say 20% of the association execs I meet out there are very standoffish, concerned. They feel like they're being sold at. They feel like we're there to snooker them. Um, there, there's that sentiment, and right? And they're not saying that outright, it's behavioral. Um, it's not bringing you into the conversations, the decision-making conversations, not in, not being transparent about what their issues are, what they want, don't want. Um, and then there's the other, like I would say 60 to 80% of the association execs that are very transparent, want to learn. They're very frank about their, what issues they're dealing with. And, you know, it's, it's an extremely copacetic relationship. Um, ultimately trying to get to a place where we're both benefiting from that relationship. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think there, you're right, Dave. You there, bumped into that? Like, yeah, there, there is an us versus them. And I think, you know, we should acknowledge their companies that uh, sponsor companies that don't do this as well as they should. And I think that's true in every any sector. If, sure. If, yep. if my I wife and I call over three interior decorators and one of them comes in and says, I can do this and I can do that and I can get this done by a week from Thursday, you know, we're probably not going to work with them. And if another company comes in and says, well, here are the latest trends and this, and I've worked for one of your neighbors and we did this sort of redecorating. Um, so... That being said, I, I used to work for an association CEO who was very savvy. He had previously been a member of the association. And he mentioned at a senior staff meeting once, and he said, you know, it's a, there are a lot of sources of, in, of information out there. When I was an a member of the association, head of a big company, and I needed help with something, I sometimes went to the association that I was a member of and found a webinar recording or, uh, or a podcast or, or a document. But he said, sometimes I went to some of the big companies in this space and I asked them for their advice on how they could solve this challenge. And there were VP level folks around that staff table who said, sir, I think I misunderstood you. Why did you go to those companies? They just sell stuff. And the CEO said, you did not misunderstand me. I did say to these companies, don't just bring your catalog, but I'm having a challenge here and I need your advice. What are you doing for other members? What are you doing for other customers or clients? How can you help me solve this challenge? And so it gets back to the companies positioning themselves as a thought leader and offering good solutions or ideas. And then he said, sometimes I would do business with those companies, but I got information from a lot of places. 
and and back to our so i think that helps to he also made the good point that the association's members and the sponsor's customers are the same people so that's why he as a former member of the association before he became ceo said I can go to either source. I can go to companies for educational information. I can go to the association for educational information. And you're right, there were still some us versus them folks on staff who said, but they sell, we provide good, pure information. And I think, especially after the last three years and we've seen all these educational webinars and whether, as you said, Dave, you've been doing for years or some companies ramped up, some companies took all that money that they saved by not traveling around and doing expos the last three years and put them into very robust websites, very robust digital campaigns. And you can do a lot of money with uh, on a website with all that money that you save by not traveling around the country. So companies have positioned themselves. And, and you know, I think we've seen this even in the association space. Um, Somebody sent me an email a few weeks ago and said, well, here's an organization providing good information for associations. It looks like they're a for-profit company. It's a dot-com. And I said, yeah, that's true. There are dot-coms out there. They may or may not be selling. They very well may be selling something, but they're providing good information. And if, if members are availing themselves of that information, so I think as important as it is to ask companies what their business goals are, look at members and see where they're getting information. I mean, what trade publications are they looking at where the corporate partners are doing advertorials? Uh, in many uh, associations, their corporate sponsors are doing their own mini conferences and members are going there. So we can, we can poo-poo that and say, oh, well, they're just selling stuff, but members wouldn't be going there if they weren't getting good information. Bruce, there, um, do you remember, 20 and amen to all that by the way there's a lot of innovation and information coming from the for-profit world uh do you remember 20 25 years ago when uh, a lot of organizations at the at the and i'm talking of grocery stores right now a lot of items in the grocery store were being brought down to um concentrate I'm not talking orange juice mm. from the 70s. I'm talking like, although that's probably, that's an interesting one to look at. I'm talking about like um, mostly, I'm thinking of cleaning supplies that were brought down to concentrate. Um, mm -hmm. do, you, do you know how that happened? No, how did that happen? I'm going to tell you because you're, you're right. touching on it right now. What the association world is, what you're trying to relay to the association world is by working together, great innovation comes out of it. Well, Walmart, was very, very adamant. And this is literally 20, 25 years ago. The Walmart has always been about low prices for their consumers. And they are known to be very aggressive with their suppliers. Their suppliers are the manufacturers of, of consumer goods. And so I, I don't quote me on who, this is just an example. And I can't remember if it was General Mills, Procter & Gamble. Uh, it was one of the big consumer product companies. And they went to him and said, look, you need to bring the price down on this product hmm. by 10% or something like that. It needs to be down by 10%. Otherwise, we're out. We're, we're not going to accommodate you on the shelves. You're not going to get the shelf space you want, whatever. You need to bring the price down. So Procter & Gamble went back to the drawing boards and they started, I mean, it was a very collaborative thing with Walmart too. And they came back and said, look, we have an idea we can make smaller packages with less fluid 
which reduces our the materials we put into manufacturing and it makes our shipping less expensive to send less fluid we can put more things in the same size boxes and so there were savings all across the board for Procter and Gamble and as a result they were able to bring their price down by another 10% like Walmart needed them to and so there is an example of how and that's how that's where the whole concentrate thing and then it spread across all of the manufacturers because of that relationship between Walmart and, and whatever manufacturer this was at the time. I can't remember. So the, the point with that is that if you're thinking collaboratively with your suppliers, your customers, and by the way, this is also a huge supply chain philosophy in the 90s. I studied logistics at business school in the 90s at Penn State, and this was something they got into is how a lot of car manufacturers are now designing things with the supplier to make it more efficient and more effective. So by working collaboratively, you're going to create way more innovation. And that's why, to me, the us-them relationship just doesn't work. Well, I, I think, sorry, go ahead, Tom. I just go say, just to follow up on, I think the 20% that you talk about that, that aren't moving forward with some of those things, are it, they're, they fear the technology because maybe they're on the way out. And I mean, I can remember change. my predecessor. Change is yeah, tough. Ch yep. Well, they fear technology, they fear change. And they also look through the lens that you're not doing, you're not a CEO of an association. You don't do what I do or you don't work in an association. So there's a different lens there. And I kind of, I think there is some element to that because I know, you know, if you had 10 vendors talking business about struggles and trap uh, in, in the world of providing services, and you got two association execs in there. I doubt those 10 CEOs of vendor uh, supplier companies would look very heavily on the input provided by the two association executives because they run a totally different business model. But if the association said, look, I get to hear from my network of 100 plus association executives what they're saying about vendors. And I think that's the missing element of, of suppliers of association products is not letting the association that look, we need to be in the conversation because we talk to hundreds of people that do exactly what you do. And we have inside stories and scoops of how they're reacting to it and what their experiences have been. But I think if you, if, 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 a, if a CEO, if you want to sit down at a table with 10 association execs and speak it in their nomenclature, it's going to be challenging because they look at you as running a totally different business model. But if they look at you as the link, to a hundred other associations doing exactly what they do. I think that's where all of a sudden, that's where I'm always like, man, we want to have those people in the room, you know? And I don't, I don't, I, I think some, I've seen, I've heard some suppliers say we should just be in the room because we're smart. We know what they need. And I'm like, well, how do you know they know what they need? You don't run a company like them, but they never take the leap to say, well, it's because I'm daily, I'm connected to over a hundred associations that are in that same struggle. And I can give some input on that. I think right. so it's about communication. In my opinion, I don't think it's that they don't want them in the room. This, the suppliers sometimes aren't set giving the message that helps them get an invite to be in the room. Because I, I mean, I would love to have you in the room of any any and association execs, like you or Bruce, because you're connected to a lot of people that are struggling with what I struggle with. And I want to hear what they have to say without having 100 more people sitting in the room. Right. Well, and I think you're right, Tom. And the, the, really the great equalizer, the common denominator is whatever profession, trade or industry the members are in. And, and I had the opportunity a few months ago to participate in an association's, they call it the Industry Advisory Council. It was their top level corporate partners and their board meeting for a day. And it was in the, in the medical space. And 
they they went around the room. The question of the hour was, what's keeping you up at night? Whether you're a board member, whether you're a company that's providing services to the members. And it occurred to me that if I covered my eyes and couldn't see who was speaking, I would not have known if the answers were coming from a board member, a member of the association, or one of the company suppliers. That's awesome. They had the exact same perception. What are the issues? Quality health care, reimbursement, federal regulation. And then at the end of it was, how can we work on these issues together? Because whether, so there is, of course, a difference. Associations are not-for-profit organizations providing education and such. Companies are selling a product or service. But as far as what does the industry trade or profession need, they have the same understanding and the same perception. By the way, associations also sell product and service. That's what they do. Right. Education is a product and and advocacy is a service. So, hey, Bruce, um, I also wanted to make this comment, which is uh, if I'm listening to this objectively, I'm saying, well, suppliers or vendors can be a little pushy. Like we've got our sales and marketing team um they're constantly emailing people they're aggressive right and i will admit our team is is pretty uh deliberate about their messaging right like that's the business and and in fact that would probably serve associations well too to get a little more aggressive about their sales and marketing but then we're we're helping them with that as a vendor but um the best thing and i i acknowledge that the pressure you get from salespeople can be um annoying right for lack of a better word the best way to stop that is to say no the second best thing a salesperson can hear is no right yes of course being the first thing no is the second best thing the worst thing you could do is say well you know we're just not ready right now um just to be soft about it because that is something that's you can't classify that it's, yep. You can classify a yes and a no. Give us a no. If it's a no, just say no. Not interested. Right. Well, and I think some. I'm finding that some companies are somewhat bi- bifurcated uh, on, on this issue. And I was talking to the the senior VP of marketing at a company, sponsor company. I was talking to them on behalf of an association client, and I said to this marketing VP for the company, "Well, how would you define your company's business goals and marketing objectives for the coming year?" And she said, "Whose opinion do you want?" And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I have a global opinion or understanding of what our company's marketing objectives and goals are. Mm. If you ask my colleague who staffs the exhibit booth, they have a different perception. And that's around how many badges can I scan and how many logo placements can our company get in the convention center? So I think it's it's also important, and it's especially when we have these exploratory discussions with companies, to be talking to a senior enough level person with the company that they understand the big picture marketing goals. And that's something that can be aligned with member needs. So most members are not going to say, gee, we need more logo placements and and we want our badge scan more times in the exhibit hall. But if you are talking to a senior VP of a company that says, well, we really have a goal around recycling, or we have a goal around women in leadership, or we have a goal around um, improving supply chain, all of a sudden it's like, wow, those are some of the same issues our members are concerned with. 
So why not work together on the content, taking the expertise from the companies and the, the education expertise from the staff and then all those audiences the association has and put that together and then monetize it. And that's when companies will say, sure, we'll pay for that. And I've seen companies go from, and this is actually the, in the first six months of the pandemic, from a $7,000 a year conference sponsorship around the booth and logos on lanyards or something and signage to a $50,000 a year, year long partnership in the first six months of the pandemic, because it was around content. It was an association of, of nurses and it was a company that had expertise in respiratory thing first six months of the pandemic what do nurses need help with how to better manage respiratory did the company sell and what was interesting was these were nurses they are not purchasing decision makers they are influencers in their hospitals but they weren't even the purchasers and then this was a major uh, medical supply company and they said we would be glad to go in there and provide the expertise and, and kind of as tom said then be able to go out and say we provided this association with nurse of nurses with with great expertise to help them care for patients during a, a pandemic bruce I, a I love what you just said about an annual sponsorship we we do a lot of work with ASAE. They are not only a paying client of ours, but we also are a paying vendor of theirs, meaning we sponsor a, a ASAE annual MMCC. We've done some like um, marketing uh, uh, product webinars. Um, I forget what they call those. So we've done a lot of things. I would love it if ASAE would come to say, hey, look, let's come up with an annual program that we can do with your company um, and, and just charge one fee for it all. Uh, and that'd be way easier than all the, I don't want to say nickel and diming because it's not like that, but all the disparate charges across the year. That'd be great. Right. Well, most, most companies will say they market year long. So even the greatest conference and even a little pre and post of the conference is not going to solve marketing challenges or going back to the pre three big value propositions, business development, brand visibility, and thought leadership. Um, a three-day conference is probably not going to achieve those. Um, and you're right. I hear from companies all the time, especially with mid-sized and larger associations, we get sold to constantly. Yeah, and it, I know it's it, every time it's a different purchase order. And I was talking to a company a few years ago um, on behalf of a client, and it was a confidential one-on-one -on -one discussion. And I said, you know, we talked about some value propositions around sponsorship, and and I said at the end of the call to this uh, marketing VP with the company, I said, if the association made some of the changes that we are talking about, would you increase your sponsorship spend with the association? And she said, I'd like to, but I can't. And I said, what do you mean you can't? And she said, because they come to me eight times a year and I never know what's coming next. So she said, if they actually not only came to me once a year, but asked me when I am working on my budget for the coming year. So she said, for the last half a dozen years, I just pencil them in every year for the same amount as the year before, because I never know what's coming next. But if they came with that package, one spend, one purchasing order, one goal. So are we talking about, you know, a webinar and a podcast and something at the booth and, and a white paper all around the same theme. So then my company is known as the expert on this topic on a year long basis for one spend. And according to this uh, corporate marketing VP, a bigger spend than they have spent the last six years. Yeah, Dave, I, I can speak to the case study of that because we started that in 2009. We, we started looking at how, you know, there, there's, a, there's a booth at our trade show. There is a, uh, 
registrations to our annual conference. There's banner ads on our website. There is a um, opportunity for newsletter sales. We've never sold advertising, but in 2009, we said, you know what? We have all those components in our association. So we developed a package that took a, a, a supplier's investment from three grand to 10 grand a year. And we put the prospectus out, sent it out, and we and we limited the top. We had a 10 grand, a five grand, and a three grand. And we limited the 10 grand to, the, to 10 companies. We wanted to be kind of, that was part of the value proposition. It was exclusivity to 10 premier companies. And it was the first 10 that came up. We sold them out in 45. They, did, they didn't know it was coming. They just got it. We sold them out in 48 hours. And then two days, we had our 10, $10,000. And this year, we, we increased it in 2015 to, um, to 14. And this year, we had a three, uh, three more companies in our trade show say, Tom, when are we going to get to be diamond status? So we increased this. Now we've got 17 of them giving us 10 grand a year. And, and they love it because they're boost. They give us one check a year and they get to do all this stuff without having to come back and say, Hey, we need another thousand dollars for this. So it, it does work. In, I mean, you're in a cut way back on the invoicing on the, on the AR and so on. So listen, we, sh we need to wrap this up. We're going way longer than, than we originally planned to Tom. Uh, before we get into that final uh, point of this podcast where we, we uh, tell you our takeaways, our individual takeaways from this thing, Bruce, you mentioned your network. What was the name of your the network that you've created <clears throat> around partnership? Uh, partnership Professionals Network. And, and how do you join that? How would, how would, would our listener get, become a part of that? Um, either through my uh, LinkedIn um, or there is a kind of a... Uh, ASA parallel on ASA collaborate there's a partnership professionals group that has similar content so on LinkedIn they just search for that yeah, name. LinkedIn they can look for me on LinkedIn and there's a link to the partnership professionals network all right and that's Bruce Rosenthal r-o-s-e-n-t-h-a-l all right all right hey uh Tom key takeaway what do you got I got two quickies. One is if you're not doing an annual sponsorship to bring your supplier base in over the course of an entire year it's a, such a tight connection. You need to look at that and see what can you offer in your association to get someone to want to give you 10, 20, 30 grand for the entire year. I think they'd be more than happy to do it because there's a lot of efficiencies in that and a lot of value. Um, the second thing is ask, I like what Bruce said, ask your supplier, what would they need to put down on a piece of paper in terms of what you can provide in order to get them to write the check that you need? That's that, my, that that's my, my key takeaway too, Tom. And I'm going to I'm gonna. I think the reason this resonates so much with me is because it's it's everything um, we've been preaching for six years at Propuel, which is ask your sponsors, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you don't know what they want. What we're doing, what we I say we because I'm I feel like I'm a part of this community as a as an association professional, which I am. But what a lot of associations do is they put these packages together, assuming they know what it is the sponsors need, and then they put it out there and say, which one do you want? And that's the way right. associations treat members too. It's like we we do big surveys and we get an understanding for what people want at the aggregate level, and then we guess what the individual wants. And it just doesn't work like that. So ask your sponsors, what is it we can get you, Bruce? What is it we can get you, Tom? What can we do for you to make sure that this is of value to you as an individual firm? And I'd, I'd like to take that to the next level and say, do the same thing with your members. There's no reason to guess what it is your individual members need. Ask them. That's then, and that's why that point resonated so much with me. Mm -hmm. What we do for associations. 
Well, you know what cracks me up, Dave, is I see it on Collaborate all the time where association execs are actually asking other associations that aren't like them in their industry what they're providing their members as if what they're providing their members actually will resonate with their members. I'm like, stop doing that. Ask your members specifically, what are you hurting at? What is your pain point? What do you need to solve it? And that's where your value is. What are your goals? Personally, not everybody. Like there's a big difference in the aggregate and the individual. Like good, you do the surveys for the aggregate. But when you want to find out what Tom needs, you got to ask Tom. Bruce, what's your right. Well, I think I was going to say, I think you touched on something important there, Tom, that it's not just saying to members, what do you want, but what are your pain points? Let right. us as the association work with you to figure out, oh, the solution to this is this, or there's yeah. a new technology, or it's something else. So, um, you know, all, all successful sponsorship partnership programs really need to be aligned with the association's mission and the needs of its members. So I think a, a good sponsorship partnership program starts with what are your members five, six, eight major needs. And again, whether an association has three staff, 30 or 300, I think all the surveys have shown associations do not have the staff time, expertise or money to meet all of members' needs all of the time. So if right. you start with what do your members need and then go out there and find companies that can fulfill that need. And that can be some research that can be, you know, I've had a lot of uh, folks say to me during trainings that I've done, well, these sound like really good sponsorship practices, but I call companies and nobody returns my call. And I'll say, well, what do you say when you call them? And they'll say, well, I I call them and then I say, well, we're selling gold, silver, bronze sponsorships to our conference. It's coming up in 90 days. I say, that's why they're not calling you back. But if you were to call a company and say, you know, I was looking on your website and you have a, you have a new program in supply chain management or recycling or women in leadership, and we've just you know, done a survey of our members, and that's a real pain point for our members, back to what are the pain points for members. And then you say to the company, can we have a conversation? I think we can partner together to meet the needs of members. And then the, the underlying message for the association is you monetize this. And this will this will take those sponsorships from the seven thousand dollar conference sponsorship to the fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar or more year long partnership. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. I know Tom and I like to rant and rave about our own issues, uh, but we I think we let you get a few words in in between, right? <laughs> it was great. I appreciate it. Always right, good Bruce. to talk about successful sponsorship practices to advance associations. Really glad to have you on board. Thank you. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.